The role responsible for probably the most important component of any musical is the musical director. From finding the best vocal talents, collaborating with the director, sourcing and guiding musicians, interpreting scores and leading the show at each performance, it's a role that requires great communication, organisation and tremendous responsibility. Making a mark in this role is Lucy Birmingham. Born and bred in our nation's capital, Birmingham was raised in a large musical family. As soon as she could walk and talk, she embraced her musicality and the instruments of voice and piano. Soon she became the official accompanist for a choir. She worked as a repetiteur in amateur musical theatre and eventually conducting a succession of musical theatre pieces. Following a stint in the Australian Regular Army, she moved to Sydney, quickly becoming a sought-after musician, taking the musical helm for dynamic and demanding scores of musicals such as Violet, Spring Awakening and In the Heights, winning Lucy great accolades for her perceptive and passionate work on these productions. In the Heights opens this week in a return season at the Sydney Opera House. Lucy is once again leading the musical side of the production and stages spoke to her about the role of the musical director and the fascinating path that has led her to her work today. What style of or genre of music do you like listening to? All of them. So you have a fairly eclectic taste? Absolutely. None sort of... I suppose it, listening to music depends greatly on mood, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because in the car, it's always classic FM for the calmness because... Because of Sydney <laughs> because traffic. Because of Sydney traffic, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, also, but because I have a five-year-old, sometimes a lot of bananas in pyjamas going on there. But she's also discovered The Greatest Showman. Oh, so must be pleasing. loving the million dreams and all that. She knows all the songs and that. And so that's quite good to sing along to. So do you have a favourite composer? Ooh. And again, I spy, it's well, a silly question. I suppose it depends on what type of music yeah. you're listening to. True, true that. So I was trained as a classical pianist. So I'm going to say my favourite composer growing up was Debussy. I love the Impressionist. I love Impressionist paintings as well. So I'm kind of in that era of and the style of painting and music. Loved playing Debussy, so romantic. And I was, I'm a, I'm a crazy romantic. So I loved, loved all that music. I loved playing it, I loved listening to it, and it's also very calming. So there's a theme running here. <laughs> I like the music, music that's, that's calming. Kind of bring it down. Not, yeah, no, 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 yeah. Level just, you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Bring down the calm in the mind and the whole being, yeah. So you trained as a classical pianist. Oh, when, did. when did you discover musical theatre? Oh, I was at university. Well, okay, no, I'll go back. I'll go back further. My mum was a pianist who used to play the piano for the local amateur theatre company in Canberra. So I was trained kind of by her in that in that in that way. And but the first show that I got involved in, I was her her page turner, and I would have been fifteen, I guess. And Stuart Maunder was we were so lucky to have Stuart Maunder. He um so he came down as a he guest came director? down as a director yep. for Avita. Oh fair. So I've also had a you know a lovely um, association with that show because it was the first one I worked on. The first time I watched a professional director work in the in the room, but I was my mum's page turner. So that's where I started, and I was exposed to it a little bit. Then I used to go to all the shows that mum plays. So we loved all that kind of stuff, but uh, but not till I was about eighteen that I was asked to be a, um, a repetiteur for Fiddler on the Roof. And I was a shy, very, very, very shy girl, barely said a word. 
but really good pianist. So the guy who was the MD at the time, his name's Ian McLean, he just went, well, you're a bit of a gem, we'll hang on to you. And so I was then the pianist for all the things, kind of taking over from my mum, I guess. It was the same company. And then I just did this whole array of shows till I was, till now. <laughs> um, was your dad a musical person? Dad was a drummer. So yes, a musician of he? sorts. No, right. dad died about nine years ago. Right. So, um, but he was a drummer and a beautiful tenor singer. So, and I'm also one of ten children. So we've kind of formed our own choir. We all got the musical bug, which was fabulous. Only a few of us have taken it on as careers and um was probably really sensible so was it a musical yeah. family were you very all much so learning very instruments at a, yeah, a young yeah we age? all did yeah. we all had to go at something all the way most of us learnt piano and we all sang so there was a choir in canberra called the word about youth choir which we were associated with from birth all of us and so my mum played piano for that as well and dad used to play drums in the concerts but he was also one of the organizing people and so all of my brothers and sisters went through that choir and so we, um, it's been part of my life forever. And I went from being in the choir to being the pianist for the choir. And then so I travelled in Europe and the UK, Japan. I've been all over the place with that choir. Which is amazing experiences for a young person. Yeah. yeah, so we all can sing. We can all, I mean, you know, haven't all taken on any professional instrument learning as such except me. So, And I guess being in a choir also teaches you a lot about... Um, Collaborating, dealing with other people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and a that's great deal of musicianship. Teamwork is a really good thing. Like we all played sports. My mum was really into that, playing sports in that regard as being in a team and also being in a choir because you've got to – and it's also good to learn your, your harmony singing and your music reading as well. So we all, we all did all of that. Who, who was your first music teacher? Like piano teacher? Or, well, I guess that was your well, instrument, Well, yeah, so yes. I started when I was four playing piano. My mum started to teach me. And apparently about preschool, maybe kindy, I told her it was a bit boring. So she moved me on to um, another lady who I went to till I was about nine, I guess, eight or nine. And then I moved to a teacher in Canberra called Anne Thompson who was just unbelievably amazing. And she took me straight through till I went to university. Is there an ideal age to begin to learn an instrument like piano? Well, you know, I think I, the way I teach with little ears is if they can comprehend the alphabet, like I know little, lots of little ears can just say the alphabet, but it's just they just say the words. If they can comprehend the alphabet, then I go, yep, you can, you can learn because they can learn to read the, the notes and they also have an, an idea of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's our alphabet. And then we start again, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So if they understand that concept, then they're ready to go. That's, that's the way I teach littlies. If they've got that comprehension, then I'll take them on. Yeah. I guess it depends on your teacher too. I mean, I oh, yeah. one of the biggest regrets of my life, and I know we shouldn't have regrets, <laughs> is is not continuing with piano. My, mm. you know, Dad had me learn the piano as a nine, ten-year-old, I guess, yeah. but Mrs. Bucknell wasn't a person that I enjoyed oh. going to visit. So um, so I stopped. So And, yeah. you know, I, I greatly regret that I didn't stick yeah. with it. It's a skill, literally a life skill. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyone who was you know, would be thinking about starting their kids, i say, yes, get them in. Or, actually, you know what, it doesn't matter. You can start learning whatever age. So you should go back to it. So never, anyway. never too late? Never too late. Absolutely no way. Do you teach? Oh. 
Yes. You're a, bit, you're a little, <laughs> little busy. Little I'm busy. a bit busy, but yes, yeah. I, well, yes, I do. I take on any student of any age because I just think it's an invaluable skill to have. And to, I teach music reading along with, with the actual piano skills because they go hand in hand. A lot of kids learn by rote and they, they hear it by ear. That's okay, I'll only get you to a certain point. So I teach the, the music reading as you go and then you're set for life. You can Then you can play anything. It's so good. What was your music education like at primary school and secondary school? Primary school was, again, my mum. My mum taught at my primary right. school. Yep. Um, she was a piano teacher there, but she used to take us for little bits of class music. Uh, not a great deal. Um, I have a sister who's a, who's a classroom music teacher, and I did nothing like she does. Like, she's a, the off train and the Kodai and all those kinds of things. But mum didn't do that. She just gave us a bit of singing, and we did a Christmas concert, that kind of stuff. In high school, I had fantastic music. It was amazing. Uh, I went to an all-girls school for up to year 10. We had a really fantastic music program there with a fantastic teacher. So I got great training in high school, and that's I took up cello. We, we, have, we were afforded lots of opportunities like that, take on different instruments as well. So I, st- I started to take the cello, but then I had to carry it on the bus, so I stopped. It was just too crazy too to, to take the cello on the bus. Yeah, so I stopped learning that. Mm. Uh, do you know this fact? I, I love it. Um, in our Australia's constitution, it says that it is compulsory for all students to study music and sport in, oh, in, see, I didn't in know school. That. Yeah. I didn't know that. And Isn't it amazing? should be. It should yeah, be. Yeah, as, as it should be. And I'm loving this ABC campaign that's come out with the Give Us Your Instruments, We'll you Find a Find the Home. You can't stop the Don't music stop or the something. Music. Don't yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. It is isn't it? just yeah. fantastic. I've been and watching see the, those shows. The impact on those children is extraordinary. It's enormous and it's life changing. You know, they'll be going to the Perth Concert Hall, they'll never they'll never have that experience again. So they've just they've opened them up to Do you to remember the, the first time that you stood on a big stage or um, and the impact that I had? I remember a lot of because I did a lot of performing as a as a as a young person. Um, and I was always so nervous. They call it anxiety now, but in my day it was just nerves, you get on with it. So we just did, and I performed a lot. Uh, mostly solo piano stuff, because that's what I was doing. Um, and then when I joined the choir, we that was big scale for us, and we were in the big Llewellyn Hall in Canberra. and So performing became second nature. Love it. So did you <coughs> um, perform on stage in, in musicals that you... Oh, yeah, no. No, you weren't Brigitte okay, von Trapp I, I, or anything Well, you like know, that? When, I was, when I was in kindy, Mum set up an audition for me to audition for Gretel in The Sound of Music, done by our <laughs> local amateur thing. Is and Gret- I shied Gretel away. the youngest? Gret- Gretel's the baby, yeah. Right, yeah. And, I, and I have perfect pitch. So I was singing like an angel at five years old and all these things, and, and then I shied away. I was too shy. I was such a shy child. I know oh. it's hard to believe that now. Even now it is. Yes. Yeah. But I was painfully shy and so I shied away from it. So how did you conquer that shyness? Because yes, you're very gregarious now and uh, um, well, yeah. a, a terrific personality. But The military kind of did that to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's another chapter that, that's, it is a, that's, that's coming up really. a whole other chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, it was a bit of a turnaround for me. Yeah. So what about cast recordings? You know, that, that musical influence also. Was there anything that was playing in the house? Do you know, every family seemed to have a recording of My Fair Lady. We did. Example. We had the Julie Andrews My Fair Lady. Yep. Uh, we had Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, we kind of had across the board lots and lots of... But they were, they, it sounds they were, like... They those, were LPs. You the, know, the, those seminal the, albums that sort of... Superstar absolutely. and Fair Lady. And, all those yeah. things that um, 
kind of whatever I think whatever we was out coming out at the time. Mum and Dad were were getting the latest recordings, which was your big LPs of of all the things. So yeah, we did have a lot of, um, but also the goons, you know. So we were <laughs> we were across all sorts of recordings in our family. Um, yeah, we were exposed to every every kind of music. So so having done a few musicals, do you have a favourite overture from a musical? Well, I do love Carousel. I have to say that is the gorgeous, music hmm. in Carousel. That like the uh, the overture to that is just gorgeous. But so is the Sound of Music. Yep. So the Sound of Music is my all time favourite musical. And I bought the DVD and I watched it. And I buy it for all my nieces and nephews for a birthday along the way. Essential viewing. Absolutely, because it was on you know every other day when I was growing up, and I I watched it every time, and I still watch it, and I I just love it. But the stage musical, I know, it differs. It does. But, it, it's, but it's still t- a terrific Well, it, it is lovely. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. some of the kind of the, the book is a bit strange in bits and pieces, but and they don't have some of the songs on the stage play that they do in the movie, obviously. But it still goes all right, you know. We get the idea. Do you enjoy the overture when you go to a musical? Yes. It, yeah, I absolutely. think it, it's an essential well, yeah, part of the experience. Absolutely, yeah, because being a muso, it's like, okay, everyone be quiet, I'm listening, but that... You know, the audiences don't see it like that. They'd no. Say, it's it, my quiet down, shut my phone down time, yes, you know. It shits or me. quickly open my packet talk. of lollies. But a lot of contemporary musicals are doing away with that device. They are. They are. Absolutely. The Which one yeah, I'm in Our in the Heights is an example. Straight in. You know, and they just jump straight into whatever whatever you the story is. You know? And I go I guess, you know, uh, that's a the creators are finding a reason to reinvent a musical yeah, as a form it is. And, and you know that can happen it does happen along the way has happened a lot along the way you know so i think it you know what i think it's going to come it's going to do a turnaround it's going to come back i think it's going to come back yeah i have a feeling i don't know but maybe i should write one that has a big overture <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well, well people crave it i think and you know that's why we see those glorious revivals coming back again yeah, absolutely and again and oh, again exactly. so we can but, yeah, let's hope we see a carousel sometime soon. Well, that's right. Well, it's just played Broadway, it's of course. just done, exactly. Mm. I'd love to see that, yes. So we touched on it, you know, a few moments ago, but in 1996 you joined the Australian Regular Army. I did. What drew you to the Army? So going back on my friend, Mr Ian McLean, who was the music director of this, this Fiddler on the Roof that I did when I was 18 or so, he was the officer commanding of the Band of the Royal Military College at Duntroon, which is in Canberra. And so I started to do a lot of work with him and um, was studying at university at the same time and being to be a concert pianist. But my interest in being a concert pianist was slowly waning. As I discovered music theatre, I became just obsessed with music theatre. I loved it so much and I met so many people. I started to have a social life and all these kinds of things and I just got such a thrill out of playing in orchestra pits and things like that. And so I got a bit wayward with my, oh, should I really be a concert pianist? And um, Just because you felt this newfound passion was pulling you away yeah, from... Yeah, it was. And... Um, and he, and because I was a singer as well, he said, oh, why don't you join the army? And I said, well, we can't really have a piano player or a singer in the army because at that stage they were just, it was just marching bands, you know, or concert bands. We don't really have piano, uh, pianists and or singers. So 
And they used to get guests to come along and sing with them. So um, I, I did that for what they called a Music at Midday concert, which they had once a month. So I was a guest singer there. And then after that, he said, this, my mate Ian said, well, you know what, you really should think about this. We're starting to employ specialists in singing and um, in like rhythm. We needed rhythm sections and bass players and all sorts of things. So at the time I was quite chubby. So I lost 40 kilos and I joined the army and it changed my life. So joining the army, you know, even though you were in the concert band or the, the musical yeah. side of things, did you still have to participate in full-on physical training? And, oh, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. So I had to be really fit to be, to, to actually get into the army. Right. Um, we had to do, um, you know, all the fitness tests and things to get, to actually get to go to recruit school first. And so then I went to recruit training for, uh, it was meant to be three months, but I was there for about four months. And... Um, and it was just all about fitness and weapons training. So how do you cope with that? You know, a, a girl from Canberra who's probably never been exposed to. Yeah, no, I hadn't. Well, like my my eldest brother's in the army, so right. and he'd been there since he was seventeen. So we, we knew I knew about the army, but I didn't really know the ins and outs of the army. Um, so it was a shock. It was the hugest shock to my system. And is it, is it as brutal as it's portrayed? It was. In yeah, I don't think things? it's as bad anymore. Right. But it, yeah, I was in the days where you were yelled and screamed at and spoken to horrendously and woken up at six in the morning and to had to get out. Or... You had to get out of your bed and put your sheet over your shoulder and stand out in the corridor for a roll call uh, every morning. Every what, morning. Why the sheet so, over the shoulder? Well, because part of the training was that we had a certain amount of time to get ready in the morning, and part of it was making your bed. But if we didn't take our sheet off our bed, um, then it was just too easy to make our beds in the morning, so that we had to rip the sheet off so that everyone had the same amount of time to do the same task, which was make our beds with the hospital corners and the thing, and that you could bounce the coin off the centre of the bed and all the things. So that was brutal, but... Lucky for me, I'm an OCD bed maker, and I loved it. <laughs> Without a word of a lie, my family thought you are in heaven. So yeah. I like I loved that side of it, and I loved the routine. I loved all of the OCD. You, your socks have to be folded this way. Your undies have to be this way, three centimeters from the front of your locker. I loved it because that's the kind of person I am. Was maybe. <laughs> I think that's waned as well a little bit. Um, but I well, I just I loved that side of it. I hated being yelled at, and and I was scared of it a lot of the time because we were doing this like uh, um, full on combat training. So that scared me a bit because I hadn't obviously had ever held a rifle before. But I could in the end assemble and disassemble the rifle with a blindfold on. Are you training so. with other musicians, or is it a it's a mixed mix, bag, mixed yeah, bag, mixed right. bag. So basically you're going to recruit training, not generally speaking, not knowing what core you're going to go into. So they throw all these people into what they call a platoon and then off you go and you do your training. I knew that I was going to band core, so I was a, a bit of an advantage. Whereas everyone else, it's just like lucky dip. Um, most of the boys would go to infantry or, you know, wherever they go. Um, for the girls, it could be anywhere. you know. But I knew that I was going as a specialist to... But at the same time, if required to pick up a gun and go into battle, you're qualified to do that. Absolutely. I was at the time, yeah. I mean, you know, if they send the band in, run the other way, but, you know, we all had to do the same training. So across the board, we all learnt the same thing. And and we have to keep that training up every 
six months, you have to do your fitness and your rifle training every six months for the whole time you're, you're serving. I, I have visions of, you know, TV shows like It Ain't Half Hot Mum yeah. <laughs> and Privates on Parade where there's a bunch of misfits who sort of... You know, That's bad core. Was it, was it like that? You know, people who... It was a little bit. We're a little bit better trained than, the, <laughs> than that lot. But we did have the Sergeant Major, you know, which we used to take the mickey out of him because he was so like that. And they all have the same moustache and they all talk like that. Um, Sergeant Major's... I'm talking to you, Birmingham. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are a breed in the, into themselves. I was like, yeah, they're crazy people, but still delightful and also musicians. So we were all in our, in our, in our unit, we were all musicians. Um, first and foremost, they say you're soldiers first, which is great, but we were all musicians from the top down. So we had we had a lot of laughs. It was fun. It is a little bit ain't half hot mum, but our buglers are much better. So once you get through that initial training, you're then in rehearsal every day, learning new yeah, material. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So performing. Yeah, we performed regularly. I had to learn an instrument to play on the parade ground. And my first <laughs> my first parade I ever did, I pretended to play the clarinet the whole time. Because I didn't know the band drill. There's a whole lot of instrument drills that you have to learn to hold it and to put it up and down and all the things that you have to do very in a very military way. And I didn't have an instrument to play because I was a pianist. Uh, so the first, which happened to be a beating of the retreat, where the band is exposed entirely. So I had to learn to march in the whole band formation very, very quickly. And I pretended to play the clarinet. So the first thing I put my lipstick on and the clarinet players are saying, what are you putting your lipstick on? <laughs> Firstly, it's a parade and you don't put lippy on your, on your reed. So I had no idea. Did the so, authorities um, know that you were pretending or, or you were oh, just... Oh, no, 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 oh, you, oh, no. Oh, no, sorry. Were... My, my boss did. Right, my boss okay, knew, but right. no one in the crowd knew that I was pretending. Right. So that was quite fun. Um, but attached to that same parade, I've got a whole story about that, if you don't mind. It's just fabulous. I love it. Um, so that parade was attached to the Canberra Festival. What, at, what, at, at, in its day it was called the Canberra Festival so we do this big beating retreat parade and then the next night which was the Canberra, Canberra Day public holiday we did a huge open air concert in front of the old parliament house so there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people there and at the time because I was at Duntroon Peter Cosgrove was the um, commandant at Duntroon so he'd come to see this concert it was my first big concert with the band so we'd rehearsed up all these things i was the pianist it was going to be amazing just for those listening he's currently our governor general he is our governor general yes, yes. and at Absolutely. the time he was head but of he army. was at the, at, the, yeah. Yeah, at the time he was um he was just the commandant at duntroon so he wasn't he was i mean lieutenant colonel i can't even remember i shouldn't say that i don't know what his rank was but um he was big he was bigger than me by far um and anyway, he happened to be in the in the audience that night. And um, just as we were setting all the things up, pull, pulling all the instruments off our big truck and everything, the the lighting rig that was up there in the open air fell down and hit me on the head. So I was knocked out on the floor, dropped the piano on my foot, had this thing fall on my head, and all the things. So um, they threw me in the ambulance, and Peter Cosgrove came up to see how I was. Apparently I was a bit cheeky, but I don't remember. And You, you know, were concussed. You, well, all the things of yes sir, no sir, and all those things apparently went out the window and I was a bit cheeky, but I don't remember what I said. Um, anyway, so that was fine. He came and checked on me, which was really lovely. They took me off to hospital and had stitches in my head and all those kinds of things. 
Um, and then about a week later or so when I was back at work, he came down to the band room, which is just also a very rare thing that the commandant comes down. So it was all, you know, very military and sitting in, at attention and all the things. And he presented me with a pit helmet. And he said, you have to wear that at all of your gigs from now on. So thank you, sir. No worries. Big joke. Ha, ha, ha. And then because he... He really enjoyed my piano playing, which was really delightful. We had formed a little jazz trio, which we could do at the time. So he used to request me for all of the dinners that he used to host up at Duntroon House, which was for all the all the heads of anyone who'd come anywhere and for Duntroon, particularly for Army, he would request my little jazz trio. And at every dinner, he would make a speech. And at every time, he would say, I'd like to introduce you to... I was called Musician Birmingham was my rank. Musician was my rank. Um, Where's your helmet? So I had to... I literally... I thought he was joking, but I actually had to take that helmet with me at all the gigs that he requested so that I could show the crowd and it was all a funny joke, right? So there's a bigger story to this. (laughs) I'll get to it. I'll go as fast as I can. Uh, We then did a tour of duty... Uh, when he was the commander for the forces over in um, East Timor. He took, the t- took the troops over in 1999. And so we went over to do this big um, concert with John Farnham and Kylie Minogue, Doc Neeson, you name it. They all went James, James Blundell, heaps of these people. So we were in our big uh, army, uh, what do you call them? Airplane, those big things, whatever those things are called. The troop carriers. The troop carriers. And I was on board with Kylie Minogue and all these other people. Wow. It was so lovely. So I got to go kind of because I was going up um, with, with them first because we had um, priority rehearsals. And so these guys all got off this plane in East Timor. Peter Cosgrove walked past them, came straight to me and said, Musician Birmingham, where's your helmet? <laughs> I was like, oh my, firstly, he remembered my name. This was many, like, you know, a few years down the track. And right. he had he'd moved on well and truly and was doing much bigger, bigger, bigger and busier jobs. But he surpassed Kylie Minogue to talk to me. I was like, oh, hello. Well, there you go. <laughs> Long story about nothing. But it was no, like, no, it's, but it's, been, it's been our tale forever. It was like, oh, went past all those celebrities to tell me to wear my helmet. Well, why haven't you been getting gigs at Government House or... Your alumni. Well, see, I did. Oh, you did? I did, I did that uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, um, in his period as Governor General? Not as no, his, right. not, his, not in his, because I was out of the military by then. Um, but, uh, okay, this is going to be terrible because I can't remember his name. Who was the... Governor General. Governor General at the time. Oh, he was such a lovely man. And his name's escaped me right now. Um but when I was the pianist at Duntroon, I be then was as part of my job became the resident pianist at Government House. So I used to if they had state dinners, all the things. I was the pianist in the corner in my uniform, playing the background music for every dinner. I played for the Queen. Oh, right. yeah. I had to sit in the corner. She actually asked who I was. She asked the Governor General, "Who is that?" lady in the corner playing the piano and he told her all about me she said that's just delightful didn't get to meet her but she right. was still I was in the same space brilliant so I got to play for lots of heads of state and yep. you know that kind of stuff so I was the resident pianist there while it was while I was the, um, in the military and though you were musician Birmingham you also rose to the ranks of lieutenant and eventually captain I did yeah. I did and I, I got a little bit escalated pretty quickly through that like we did a big um concert when i i got posted to sydney um after a few years and then um 
did all my um, I did a couple of uh, promotion courses, and you normally go to um, Lance Corporal, and then you spend time as a Lance Corporal, and then to Corporal Sergeant, all those kinds of things. Um, and we did a big concert at Taronga Zoo. They used to do that. that oh, they still do it actually. The Twilight series. Yep. Um, now we used to do this. We did a big concert one night at Taronga Zoo, and I'd just come back from one of my promotion courses, and I got promoted to in as part of the pro, one of the presentations in the first half was I got promoted to Lance Corporal in front of these thousands and thousands of people in Sydney. It was really delightful. And then the second half, I got promoted to Corporal. So I didn't really spend, I spent about half an hour as a Lance Corporal and I got, I got straight to Corporal, which is really amazing. I'm not sure why I got straight to Corporal, but I took it and I ran, which was fabulous. Um, and then I went straight from Corporal to what we call the band officer course. So they, they kind of fast tracked me for, to be an officer, which is lovely do you have to apply for that or do they no, see promise in somebody yeah, yeah you yeah. just get nominated for that kind of thing right. um, there's no exams to sit or no not to not to actually do the course right but the course is uh 18 months strong and then you come back and do continuous training once you're actually posted to a unit after you become a, an officer uh, which i did but um as i discovered i probably should have stayed a corporal because i really love the job <laughs> Um, but then I became an officer and I, it, it was a little bit paperworkish for me. Right. So I stopped doing a lot of the playing that I would and singing that I would normally that you do. That doing. That I love, 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 love doing. So I sat in my office and listened to the band from there and I thought, oh, this is not quite the job for me. So I resigned. But you're obviously um, craving some sort of more creative outlet. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, that... that, that, that um, that rank yeah. didn't allow you to pursue. Yeah, I did. I'll tell you what it did do. It gave me the most amazing conducting experience. So part of the band officer course is obviously to become not only an administrator, but to become a conductor. So I learnt from the most amazing professors. Barry Bignall in Melbourne was well, one of the yeah. most amazing conductors. And he taught me. Like I got one-on-one with him for 18 months. So it was... And I learnt from all of the army directors at the time who were down there would give us conducting lessons. So really amazing military conducting, but also um, concert band conducting, all that kind of stuff. So I, I loved, loved, loved that part. Well, it sounds like the, the Army offer, you know, a, a musical education equivalent oh, to any conservatorium. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, I mean, we, they demand the highest level of musician. To, to play. So you have to already be at a very, very high standard to get in as a musician um, and then they extend you from there. So it's And to, to go up the ranks, it's also a music exam as well. So you're, you're always improving and always improving. And we used to say we get pray, paid to practice, which we did a lot of the time. If we didn't have um, jobs on, we were practising. So it's, a, it's such a fantastic job, which I try to recommend to lots of musicians who you know, looking for something else to do and, and you have to be fit. So it combines all these fantastic things. Great social life. It's fabulous. Hard work though. So what do you do when you leave the army? Where did you go? So I left the army. I was, I was back, got posted, pardon me, got posted back to Canberra and got married and I started to work at the Canberra Theatre Centre and I was in the box office 
I thought, well, that's close to the theatre. It's not quite the part of the theatre I wanted to work in, but I thought at least I'm still involved in that area. Is that so, a big venue? They've got about three, yeah, that's three the biggest, theatres in it's that? It's the biggest theatre in... Um, well, with the combined theatres, they have a playhouse, which is just spectacular. Yeah. Um, and a big, like, 1,500-seat, I think, theatre there. Um, so that was our... That was our that is Canberra's main theatre centre. They've got the convention centre, which is a whole different kind of thing. But as far as theatres go, that's that's where I kind of wanted to put myself. So I did. I was working in the box office. And I was, like, the, you know, group ticket coordinator or something like that and... Which was okay, but it was a public service job again. What's well, so. more paperwork? Yeah, pretty did, much. I, I, I wouldn't imagine you'd be enjoying it that much. I didn't, but it did give me time to kind of go back and do a bit of theatre. Not, I mean, but not at not at the level I really wanted to do it. I was still so back, back into in, commu- back in the community theatre. Yeah, yeah. yeah, doing the community stuff, which is fun. But well, it is, but it also community theatre. You know, the amateur theatre scene allows somebody to have an experience in all sorts of facets of, of production absolutely um and to to really work out what you perhaps want to do so yeah, yeah and that was great. the first time i jumped on the stage which i hadn't done before and i played grisabella in cats <laughs> i didn't know that fantastic i did really? oh my gosh yes i played grisabella and i without a Dancing, body, my didn't, body. Well, uh, she had a limp. She, Thank God she, she had a limp. Dance, right. so, yeah, she didn't have to dance. Right. Um, but it, that was so magical for me. And I was... You've got a big voice then. I do. I have a, I have a big voice. And um, I mean, she sings a few octaves, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Yeah. And I loved singing Memory. Like, that was a glorious song. I loved yeah. it so yeah. much. Yeah. You know, and people pan out that song. But I loved singing that. It was just so fabulous to let rip with all that. Um, so I did that. That was really lovely. Then I got a, uh, I can't think of the right order of this. I had the opportunity to sing with Rob Guest as part of the Canberra Pops Orchestra. Right. So he came and sang and then I got to sing duets with him. So I had a little kind of different experiences then, which were delightful, but still not being a musical director in the professional world, which is where I was heading in my life. I was hoping. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so, but I had to leave Canberra to, to make that happen. To pursue so, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that came about, I suppose, correct me if I'm wrong, but you accompanied your brother, who's had a very successful career in musical theatre, at an audition. I did. He and you were spotted. for King Kong. King Kong, right. Yeah, and he was, and Damien and I were, were thick as thieves most of the time, and if he had an audition, he'd say, oh, will you come and play for me? A lot of the time I wasn't able because I was in the army or I was doing whatever I was doing. But this one particular time I was I was free to come and play for him. So we had this... Uh, he sang a song from uh, Secret Garden. It was so fabulous. It had this big orchestral kind of piano part. So I let it rip. I thought, oh, this is lovely. I didn't really... I mean, I knew Daniel Edmonds because he and I had worked together in Canberra, um, who was the... Um, music was director. he the Rum Tum Tugger? No, 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 not quite. Um, <laughs> but he he was actually a. <laughs> it's another whole story. Um, but he was a, in high school at Grammar, and we were doing Forty Second Street, and I, we needed the young pianist to come on yes, board on for stage. that yep. to come on stage. So the guy who was Colin Fisher, who was the music director for that, said, "Oh, I've got this young bloke at my school. He's just a 
gem. He's just a brilliant piano player. We're bringing him on board. So we started to work together, which is so fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, and so Daniel was a little bit younger than me at the, yeah, and then, but we then did a couple of shows together and in just in the amateur world and hang, hanging out together and just doing various gigs. And then he's gone on to enormous fame. And just so, so, so was he working fame. on King Kong? But he was the MD for King Kong right. with Max Lambert as the music supervisor. So I played for those two, unbeknownst to me that Max Lambert was in the room. I didn't really know Max at the time, but I knew Daniel, so that was great. Um, and then after that, I just got a call from Max to say, would you come up for an interview about Strictly Ballroom? Because they were just jumping that was in into... pre-production. Um, into Strictly Boring organising musicians and what have you. So I drove all the way from Canberra to Sydney for a 15-minute interview and drove all the way back again. But I got the gig, so it was so well, that was uh, It was worth it. A six-hour investment it worth it? It certainly yeah. was, yeah. yeah. So I shifted my little baby and I up here, up to Sydney, to, to start work on that. It must have been really exciting for somebody who craved that sort of acknowledgement and work in the industry... It was, oh, all, it was all starting for you. Absolutely. I was just... And it was like, you know, do I go, do I not go? Do I? And I had a... Literally had a 12-month-old baby at the time. Do I... You know, and I had so many things. I was conducting the uh, Australian Rugby Choir at the time. I was involved with the Woden Valley Youth Choir, gone back as a, as a, as a music director there. So I'd kind of got myself in lots of choral work and lots of little things in Canberra to keep my creatives going. And I had to make the decision to drop it all and go and take this baby and move up to Sydney and to, to do the show. And I thought, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I did. So I jumped. And because my brother Damien was also in the show... Well, that was sweet. It was so lovely yeah. that we actually got to work on my first show in the professional world together. So that was... And it made it easier and we, we bunked in together and off we went. Yeah. Was it tough balancing motherhood and that professional life? It was crazy. Life? Yeah, crazy, it really yeah. was. It yeah. really was. I suppose because all your family were in Canberra, so that's... most of them, yeah. So I had I had a Sydney, uh, Sydney. I had a sister in Sydney also. So we all got this massive group house, and it was fabulous. So, um, but my poor daughter was with her nanny for a long, long time. <laughs> long hours you work, as I discovered in in doing this kind of stuff, and it's pretty full time. And even once the show's up and running, then as the music director, and I got offered the position of assistant music director down the track, which was just unbelievable to me. I was just gobsmacked. Um, but again, it's like even once the show's up and running, then you're in there doing your, your cover calls and, and all the other things and your tech runs for all of the covers and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't know about all of that stuff. So it was an eye-opening experience, but kind of a really great way to jump into that, the professional world. So was it following Strictly that you then start to garner uh, a reputation as a quite a spectacular musical director in your own right on a number of fringe musicals which start yeah. to to appear? I mean, I'm talking Violet at the Hayes and Absolutely. Spring Awakening was, at ATYP. Yeah, yep. that was... And my brother had started this company called Blue Saint Productions and that's kind of where it started. He said he, he really wanted to... Not only a vehicle for him and his mate Josh, they'd done a couple of things um, with the cast of King Kong and just produced a, a little charity show there, and they loved that. So they formed this company. Um, and then uh, one of the first shows that they did was um, a vehicle for Angelique Casamata. Uh, Casamatas, I think that's her surname. Yep. 
um, who's just fabulous. She's also one of the divas, been one of the divas in Priscilla recently. She's just fabulous. But they um, created a show for her, which is called Guilty Pleasures. So I jumped on board as like the second pianist for that. They'd done a run of it in Melbourne, so they brought it up to Sydney. And then, so we did a little tour of that show, um, which was just got such great reviews and the boys really enjoyed it. It was very small, but it was just a little rhythm section kind of um, band. And we had such a great time doing that and it went quite well. So just built and built from there. Then the boys decided to put on violin and they asked me to MD that. And with Mitchell at the helm of that, Mitchell Butel was just amazing, an amazing experience. And he's someone that you've built up a bit of a working relationship absolutely, with yeah, absolutely yeah absolutely so so we did that and then um and then when he got asked for to do spring awakening he took his same team with him and we all did spring awakening together it was just fantastic. with amy campbell who was the choreographer and we had a ball on all those and for both of those shows i won the sydney theater award for best musical director which was just unbelievable to me i just was so shocked and amazed and just was so just so well, grateful for all that. It was just that's lovely, a recognition of obvious talent. So I just loved it though, but I was so I just didn't expect. I didn't really know what the Sydney Theatre Awards were, to be honest. Um, so to get it two years running was just oh my god, it's just crazy. So I was loved it. Well, they're quite unique uh, pieces of musical theatre. Mm. You know, they're not those big lush scores of a Rodgers and Hammerstein, etc. So not at all. Um, and quite demanding, I I expect. You know, something like Spring Awakening and Oh, absolutely. Th- they're experimenting yeah. with different um, genres and styles of music. And, yeah, um, absolutely. And that was um, that was interesting. We used a, a youth band for that as well because it was for um, theatre for young people. We decided that we'd continue that through the band. So I gave young con play people at the conservatorium came on board and we had a and and the Australian Institute of Music we used people from there as well so we had this young youth kind of band slash orchestra if you will and we were all on stage so all of us got this amazing performance opportunity for that um so keeping all it was like herding cats but it was fabulous (laughs) you know the kids got a fantastic experience out of that as well what's the difference between a band and an orchestra so a band doesn't normally use strings as such right. like if i for um i would say more horns and rhythm section um whereas an orchestra would use string section or um you know timpanis and all those kind of percussion things plus all the brass is Without it size, size wise as well as a band normally smaller than an orchestra i would generally speaking yes yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah. and it depends yeah. on on Budgetary. Always. It always <laughs> depends on the budget as so, to how many players you can have. So, so most fringe, fringe musicals have a band. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we had really, we had a lovely, kind budget in the end for, for ATYP. And so I was able to, you know, um, give the kids a couple of dollars for their time, which is really lovely. Um, not often happens for those kinds of things. So, yeah. It, 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 they are a lot of... I mean, it's expensive to put on those kinds of things. So, yeah. What draws you to a score? I mean, oh. obviously it's nice if someone offers you something, but, well, but yeah, you've, got, is, you've but got to feel a, a, an attraction or an engagement with the, with the score. Yeah, absolutely right. So and what is it you look for? So, good tunes. You know, I, I really look for things I love... I love things to be difficult. I love them to be interesting. Um, a lot of it is the the libretto. Um, 
the storyline that they bring, all the I like, I love the story. If the if a song can tell a story with a great tune, I'm there. You know, and I was asked to. This might be a bit weird, but I was asked to do um, MD Blood Brothers, but I, the music just didn't do it for me. Yep. You know, I just I just I couldn't relate to it in that kind of way, and maybe it was the '80s since that they uses. I'm not sure, but I I couldn't quite go down that path but something like Violet which is also a little bit unknown to us here in Australia it hadn't been done before um, but it took us through this whole all these different genres of music you know and I just I just jumped at that it was really interesting it was hard but it's interesting and I love that challenge so you're working on a show what's the first thing you do when you arrive at work for the performance that night um, what do I do Normally do a warm up. Okay, so with the, with the cast with the cast, or with the, right? yeah, yeah, with the cast. The first thing that I would normally do when I walk in on a performance is do a warm up um, with the cast members, and then um, and then because that's kind of like an hour, usually an hour before the performance starts. So that's the kind of the first thing we do is our warm up scenario, and then if I need to do any practice stuff for myself, they all go up and get changed and all those kinds of things. I'll do a little practice for myself. Other than that, I just relax. Try um, to. <laughs> pre-show. Pre-show, yes. Is there any pre-show ritual that you go through? No. No? I don't have any of those Yeah, there. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, I just get on with it. I'm one of those kind of people. Now, the poor old band or orchestra, depending on the budget, <laughs> um, are often crammed into some very tight spaces. Yes. Um, and look, that premiere production of In the Heights, I remember, you, you were all revealed at one point, and we it seems you were in a closet. We, there were about five musicians <laughs> in a closet. Um, what we are some were. of the conditions that you've had to deal with, and, and does that make it difficult to deliver the goods? Um, it, well, okay, we try to not make it an issue, but yes, sometimes it's excruciating what, we, what we're dealing with. And our little spot somewhere, like particularly in the Heights, we had maybe six or seven musicians, six, six, six musicians I think we had um, in a very, very small space. But the other thing that we had with that, which doesn't normally happen, we had our, these big doors shut. Normally we'd have this hole in the wall that we could breathe, but for that particular show we had to shut the doors. So we're stuck in a very low ceilinged little area and it's summertime. I always seem to do these things in summertime when there's no ventilation. So we, you know, we had fans going and all sorts of things and just trying to keep that. So we try not to let that affect the outcome, obviously. We try to do it as to the best of our ability. But sometimes you just really are dying of the sweats up the back there. You know? well, well, that band in, in, in the Heights, so, well, everything you've done, you are always hot. It's great. I mean, I'm not talking about temperature. <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> they the, are mostly the excellence <laughs> and the power that comes from your your uh, band pits, orchestra pits, um, is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Well, though, you know, I I work with some fantastic musicians, um, and as I found, the more things that I do, the more people I've had knocking on my door, which is just fabulous. And and you cultivate um, your own team. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I know some some MDs like to use the same. Or you know a bunch of people that they they have. Um, I like to give everyone a go, you know, because someone gave me a go once, you know, and yep. I think and I love to have that attitude that um, someone is at the con training to be the best trumpet player they can be, then I'll give them a go, you know, and I think that's really important for us. That's brilliant, Lucy. To to remember because that. so often you know it's so easy for a director 
or a MD to use the same people all the time Always. because there's yeah, a there's, right. there's a shorthand with communication and yeah. you know there might be a reliability and all that sort of thing. Yeah, but to take exactly. a gamble on somebody well, new, you do. sometimes you have to. Yeah. Uh, I think, but I've I have just come across some amazing musicians by doing that. So I just think, and they've gone on to be, you know, get get the big shows and do amazing things. So I think that's that's a really good thing to to do. Um. Often when you, you're crammed into those tight spaces, you don't have visual access to the performance or the performers. So that must make it challenging. How do you maintain the reins of the show when you're not able to see it? Well, we um, it is tricky. There are mo- um, monitors, so, obviously. Yeah, we do have a monitor. Even that's a little bit restricting in that we can't get the vibe of what's going on out, out the front, you know. So I can see what's going on. Um, from a camera that's at the back of the theatre maybe, you know. So, uh, And then everyone's got their eyes on me because I'm usually the only one that's got the monitor. So um, um, if we get a break and there's dialogue, they'll all come and jump around the camera and have a look <laughs> so that everyone can see. Um, but it is, it, it is tricky and, and you just have to kind of go with your guts a lot of the time, I find. Um, we have really good... Um, audio for all of that so you can you can hear it all and you and you get the vibe from that way but it's it's a bit different um like particularly in the heights we had this big band reveal which was in a nightclub scene so they pulled the doors back and we were like oh my god instantly we got this apart from the cool air coming through which was delightful um we get the vibe of what's going on on stage and we were part of the action um so it kind of it kind of affects your playing as well that way and you, and you get a refresher and off you go again and they shut the doors. But anyway, but we, we used to get this fantastic vibe off the stage which is a bit tricky through a monitor. But that's just the, it's just the way things are. We just get used to that and that's what you've got to do. Um, dealing with a score, I imagine, must be like learning a new language. And I, I refer to something like In the Heights which is, has a very Hispanic flavour, very Absolutely. Latino flavour. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, now, looking at you, you're not very Latino. No. So <laughs> not at all. how do you go about, um, you know, dealing with those rhythms and that, that, that style of music? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I listen to it a lot. I listen to, the, I listen to the cast recording a lot, but then I also listen to a lot of Latin music yeah. just to get the vibe, I guess, from, from all the things. Like, it's tricky to play. Like, that score is really hard to play on my own. It's, you know, in rehearsals, I've got to play all the notes by myself. And that is really hard to do. It's hard music to play. So I practised and I practised and I practised and I practised. But it's about the feel also. It's not just that, yes, anyone can play the notes, but it's about there's so much, there's so much innuendo in all the rhythms and and the feel and the, there's a rap over the top of those you know in this particular show so it's just exposing myself to all of the things so that you can come and put it all together in these particular songs um and then obviously give direction from that but i had to do a fair bit of researching myself and i imagine like you know we talk about language um having an understanding of latin allows you to then develop your knowledge linguistically of a whole range of cultures as does your grounding in classical music yeah yes allow you to adapt to other styles yeah and um but also with with um within the heights the uh the cast members who are 
mostly uh, Latinx, I call them now, Latinx. Uh, I, I learnt from them also how to, how to speak the language, how to, all the pronunciation, all that kind of stuff, but, but um, so that all, all that evolved into the, the feel of the, the show as well. Um, and they're all amazing Spanish speakers. They yeah. just they helped me so much with all that. Yeah. Well, the fear of being a collaborative experience oh, too, absolutely. isn't it? So we all yeah. learn, learn from each learn other. Learn from everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. always. Um, I love this term, um, this musical term. Um, tell the listener what is a zitz probe. Oh, zitz probe! It's one of it, the most exciting times of the production is, process. It sure yeah. is. It's our favourite day as musos and cast members. Uh, it means to sit and sing. Um, and it, so what it is is the, uh, the first meeting of the cast and the and the band or orchestra, depending on the budget. Um, <laughs> uh, after the cast have done all of their rehearsal, the band have done all their rehearsal separately, and then it's the first coming together of that, and they do and we do a whole sing through the whole show. And so the for the <laughs> for the cast members, it's so exciting because they've had crusty piano playing lady trying to do all the things for them. You know, for months, some for some for some things, but um, they actually get to hear how it's going to sound with the orchestra or the band, and it's it it takes everyone to a new level, and it's exciting for the band as well because they actually get to hear some lyrics that go with the music that they've been playing with nothing <laughs> for so long. So yeah, it's a very exciting time. Um, as musical director, you're working with the musicians and and the cast. What are your expectations of them? It's probably different from the cast to the band. Um, as as an MD, I expect a lot from my band members. Um, general, particularly in the professional scene, they're all professional players, so they come to their first our first rehearsal knowing all of their notes, all of the things, so that we can just put it together very quickly. And often we don't have a lot of time. Um, so I expect I do expect a lot from the musos, um, but from the from the cast, it's a learning process for them. So, and it's my job to teach them the show. A lot of them will come um, with their scores learnt, but it's then it's my musical interpretation on top of that. So, um, probably less strict with them and allowing a little bit more collaboration with the cast as far as how they'd like to, things to to be sung or you know that kind of stuff. People who've worked with me know exactly how that happens. Well, I guess um, that that you honouring the um, the composer, absolutely. the writers, uh, absolutely request, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's one of the most important things for me is that that, that is upheld. And it's their it's their writing, so we we do what they put on the page for us, you know, uh, with a little bit of interpretation, obviously down the, down the thing, but certainly not from the musos. It's uh, it's a bit military in that way. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> One of the magical things I love about musical theatre is that you've got these three disparate tribes, the musicians, the actors, the crew. Oh, yes. They're all very different personality types, but they come together to collaborate and create this Absolutely. magical experience for an audience. Yeah. It is. It's funny. Um, sometimes they don't mould too well together. But I have to say, in the last... oh. All the, the all the shows I've done in, the, in maybe the last ten years, it's gotten easier and easier to work together with all the groups, and that because we all rely on each other to make it happen, um, I find that it's just such fun, such fun, and and that the the cast involved the band a lot, like particularly the last few shows that I've done, um, we found it's become one big happy family, 
and it's all come past and everyone knows everyone everyone knows it's so fabulous and crew because you can't do it without the crew so it, it does become like a whole family and it's really important and everyone's included so you know everyone's valued it's just best way to be yeah what's a tool of the trade that you can't do without uh, do you have a baton or a notebook I do have a, a baton, but I don't use my baton because I'm normally playing. Uh, this is the the world right, of the of new course. the world of the new MD. An MD that plays is that you play at the same time. So, um, I, you know, I'd come my pencils. My pencils yeah, yeah. are my tools. Yeah. You know, I can't do without and a notebook. You know, all those kinds of things. Um, but because my tool is my keyboard, uh, I guess that's that's what I can't do without. So what are the essential qualities of a musical director? Kindness. Patience. Kindness because nobody works at their best under pressure. Of course. It's they need like encouragement. It's tough, yeah. it, absolutely. Yeah. And you've got to realise that you know people are all coming from different, different places in the world and their lives and all their... You don't know what people are going through. So, yes, you've got to be, you know, keep it kind, keep it patient, very, very patient. Um... But also attention to detail. I'm well, I'm still working on that. Um, I learned that from a lot of people. It's been working with people like Jeffrey Castles and and even Daniel and Max. Attention to detail is just so important. And coming from the military, that's also been a really important thing. Is it exhausting doing eight shows a week? I mean, you know, yeah. you know, Act One in a musical often goes for an hour and a half, and you're playing non-stop. Mm, and then you come back yes. for another 40 or 50 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. So a two-show day is, you know, we're not, I mean, I'd say it's easy for us, but it's not really. You know, two-show day for Strictly Ballroom, say, for me was, it was okay. We got breaks because there was dialogue, you know. Um, something like two-show day for In the Heights, I'm a wreck, you know, because I'm not only playing full-time, but the music's so difficult to play. So that in itself is a workout. Um and but yeah, and because it's all under you know my head, nodding constantly to make things happen and conducting at the same time, it's a pressure gig. So, so how do you, you how, do you look after your body? Do you do you go and get massage and all that? Sort I, of thing? I do have to do that because I get yeah. these shocking knots in my back. Yeah. yeah, just from doing that. But um, and I do have to do that. I I don't tend to do it until the show's over because you don't usually have time. So Cause there's a, a bit, bit of a wreck by the end of it. There's so. a lot of RSI, repetitive strain, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, there is a bit. In, but, in I, I mean, I don't find that I have that too much in my, my arms and hands, which is fantastic. Um, but I do have a shocking back. You right. know? Yeah. Look, I've, I neglected yeah. to mention also that, that, you know, last night you opened in the Heights and oh, yes. we we're in the middle of your return season, which was fantastic after that um, premiere season last year yeah. um, at the Hayes. Yeah. Um, that must be very exciting to, to know that, you know, that was that was such a hit, sold out Absolutely. for a lot of the season and now you're back yeah. at the Opera House. Absolutely. And, a, you know, an amazing space to do such a fantastic show. I was so lucky to be in the concert hall, um, which is a big space to fill. But the cast, we've expanded the cast for this round and it's a couple of extra people so just even that lifts our sound we've got a, a couple of extra band members as well which is even more fantastic so everything's just a bit bigger and it, and 
fills the space Great. so beautifully. Can't, yeah. Now people can still get tickets through, through the Opera House, Opera House yeah. for for that season. And what about this this year? You've got some some big things coming up. Can we talk about I those? I do. Yes, we can talk about those. I'm doing um, a season of Razorhurst at the Hayes, which is a two-hander Australian musical about um, the crime bosses Tilly Devine, Tilly Devine and, uh, Kate. and Kate Lee. Yeah. And the music for that has been written by Andy Peterson, who's overdoing Tootsie on Broadway. Unbelievable. Such a talented So he's an Australian? Australian, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also wrote uh, Stalker the Musical, which has been was in Sydney last year. Um, so he's been back and forth and back and forth. So what's he doing bit. on Tootsie? Uh, has he written Tootsie? No? no, 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 no. He hasn't written. I think he's, he's playing working in the, music, the, in the music, orchestra or something. Orchestra. Because they've got a bigger budget. Oh, they've got a big budget. So they have yeah, got an they, orchestra. They, they, <laughs> they've got a big budget, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, fantastic um, two-hander. But I get to perform a bit of that myself because I'm the only piano player. Like, I'm the only... I am the orchestra, if you like, for that show. Um, so that'll be exciting. And you're on stage too? I am on it? stage, yes. Fantastic. So, um, but I'm looking forward to doing that. And you're working with Mitchell Butel again. I am so excited to do that. We're doing Caroline All Change, which actually happens to be going straight in after Razorhurst in the Hay. So I'll be doing back to back. I'll spend a lot of time at the Hayes. Uh, that's fantastic. I'm so looking forward to that. And Amy Campbell is our choreographer on that as well. So that's back to our Violet and our Spring Awakening team. Well, there's a, little, there's a little closet space upstage centre where you could take in your sleeping bag. I could, from... actually. I might Pitch do that tent this time. for about three months or something. <laughs> I, I might do that this time, yes. One last question. Is there a show that you would love to conduct at some point? Oh, I tell you what. I want to do West Side Story. Yeah. I want to conduct it. It's so demanding and I I'm looking forward to seeing the the uh the harbour one and maybe the touring one that's coming. Yeah, well, and, you we've know, got a, a choice of two this a year. Cho- a choice mm. of two. So I might go to both, you know. I just love the show so much and I the music is just exceptional as is the book. Everything about it I just adore. So that's one of those ones we had an LP of, you know, and I, I just think I, to conduct that would, is a bit of a dream and I've got the DVD of Bernstein conducting himself and I just I love to watch that. So that's a bit of a dream. That I one. wish he'd written more musicals. Me too. He wrote four. You know that. Can you name them? Uh, this is putting Candide. you on the spot. Candide? I, I couldn't tell you that. On the Town? Oh! <laughs> and Wonderful Town? I should know that. And West Side Story, have you done... It. Um, on the town. I haven't done on the town, no. but I played a lot of music from on the town. But I just haven't, you know, didn't register. Good. Right. Shocker. Well, you're yeah. tired, you know. You still can't think I'm of that governor weary. general. <laughs> yes, it's been a big week, and you've still got a lot of a it's week to a, go. I do. With yes. um, within the heights. Good luck with, for this season, you. Luce. Thanks for coming in and um, talking to stages. It, it has been stages an absolute joy. Um, a great joy. See you soon. Thanks. In the Heights plays all week at the Sydney Opera House, and tickets can be obtained through their booking system. You're listening to Season 2 of the Stages podcast. All episodes from this season and last are now available through iTunes, Wooshka and Spotify. Hear inspiring conversations with a range of folk who engage audiences, actors, directors, designers, playwrights, producers and drag queens. Everyone has a fascinating story and you'll hear them here on Stages. I'm Peter Ayers and thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. See you next time.